Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is brought to you by Golden Artist Colors. Golden is an employee-owned American manufacturing company based in New Berlin, New York. They make a line of acrylic colors and mediums that are top in class. Golden also manufactures the Williamsburg line of artist oil paints and core watercolors. I'm never surprised that most of the artists I speak to use Golden, and in my studio, it's all you'll find. You can find their paints and mediums at most art stores and online at goldenpaints.com. Eric White is an artist born in Ann Arbor, Michigan, who lives and works between Los Angeles and New York City. He received his BFA from RISD in 1990. He's at solo exhibitions at Track 16 Gallery, Colette in Paris, at Serge Sirocco in San Francisco, Martha Otero in Los Angeles, Jonathan Levine in New York City, and many more. He's had countless group exhibitions in galleries and museums. He's also made cover art for musicians from Frank Zappa to last year's Tyler the Creator record. I met up with Eric at his current show at Grimm Gallery on the Bowery, which is up until January 13th for a talk about music, painting on different coasts, working for others and working for yourself, and much more. Here's our conversation. It's kind of a, it's kind of an addiction of mine. Me too, me too. <laughs> yeah, it's it's big. Yeah, I, I saw yeah. that that Herbie oh, yeah. record cover, and I got really excited. Oh, good. Okay, <laughs> so we can get into that. Okay, good. But like we were talking about before, so you're you're bicoastal. I guess I am. I, I always um, thought that would be nice, but I'm, well, I'm sort of bicoastal. It it this was an extreme situation, so it's not easy to be bicoastal. For me, but um, at the moment, I guess I am. I have shit in both places. That's yeah. how I know I'm by coastal. Right. And you're going back and forth. Yeah. And that'll do yeah, it. That'll do it. Um, <laughs> well, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Oh, in the middle. Right in the middle. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, and both my parents were born and raised in Detroit. And, uh, I mean, Ann Arbor is very different than Detroit, especially when I was growing up. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then I went to RISD. So you did the East Coast. Did the East Coast. Then I moved to San Francisco. For, and I was there for 10 years. I moved to New York in 2000. Right. And then 20, I like to do it, I was like by decade. So yeah. 90 to 2000, right. San Francisco, 2000. Well, then I ended up here till 2015 and then went to L.A. So um, since you grew up as a Midwesterner, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a certain vibe. I've spent some time in, in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I used to go out there to play soccer when okay. I was a kid, and we'd spend time out there. And and I used to tour. I used to be in a band. We'd go on tour. Okay. And, you know, it's a, a much different vibe in the center of the the country. So, yeah. and that's there's a, a different vibe from the West and the East Coast. So how do you navigate 
those three kind of like it's like a a triangle of of different <laughs> yeah I, feeling I, I, I mean do you do you feel like you fit better on the east or the west coast or that's a good question uh well the first step was getting rid of my michigan accent when i got to the east coast right i think that was i think i did there were certain words i i removed from my vocabulary because they were embarrassing and and i I, well i don't know maybe my family doesn't have it as much I, i i hear my I hear some people from Michigan, and it's it's just a horrible accent. I th- maybe I didn't have it as bad, but I, but I think I, I was I was hyper aware of it when I got to RISD. Yeah, you could and turn it on though if you need to, right? Well, was I wish that, I could do it better. I think that's how you know how deep your parents' accent was. If you can, how well I, you could turn it on in a pinch. I wish I could do it a little <laughs> bit better, you know. But I I can I can do an okay Michigan accent, but it's not nice. Um, so wait, uh, well, yeah. So I, I guess I just didn't think about it that much. It, it was, it was, um, going. To, you know, it was, it was a bit of a shock to to leave Ann Arbor and go to a, you know to be in the East Coast and be in this three hundred and fifty year old town or whatever. I yeah. think when I was there, Providence celebrated its three hundredth birthday or something, and you know, just the gas lamps and the, it just feels old and haunted and right. strange. I mean, I loved it, but, but, um, and Providence wasn't in great shape when I, what year was did there. you get there? I got did there in 86. Two? Yeah. Um, it's a lot nicer now <laughs> than it was when I was there. Um, yeah. And then, you know, and after that I was, I was, all my friends from RISD were going to New York and I thought that that would make sense. But, um, my girlfriend at the time wanted to go. She had gone to high school in, in San Francisco, so she wanted to go there. Yeah. And she won, and we went there. And I'm, I'm re- but I'm really glad, in retrospect, that we did that. I think it worked a lot better. Well, did she want to go for work or just for that's where she wanted to be? She just, wanted, she just liked it and knew it and wanted to go there. And, I mean, she was right. I think it was the right decision. It's a good music town. Yeah, it, and, then, and you could go there with... Just nothing. I mean, we had no money. Oh, just like today. Just, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I was, I've been, I was thinking about the place that we got uh, when we just, and you used to, there was no internet. Yeah. You just drive around and look for signs and windows, and that's what we did. And we found this gigantic place on the Panhandle uh, on Ashbury Street, like two blocks from Haight-Ashbury, and it was like, I think it was like 350 a month. They must. I was just talking to somebody about that. They must be charging six grand at least, at least. for that place. Yeah, with all and the then, tech stuff going, I mean, you yeah, can't. It's just yeah. absurd. Yeah, my brother still lives there, and it's just it's out of control. Um. So, but that was yeah, that was great. And then I and I somehow I did kind of I I didn't I was never in a band, but I ended up meeting all these musicians, and I you know, so I was kind of into that music scene. Yeah, just kind of as a consumer and friend and I would, you know, just seeing live music all the time. And Were you into out stuff? Cause when I think of San Francisco and when I used to, I drove there with friends in high school mm-hmm. because, you know, we were reading on the road and we wanted to right. go to city lights or yeah. whatever. But I remember going out there and feeling like, yeah, out here you could yeah. just get into some out music. Yeah. You know? Well, I remember, uh, one of my favorite bands to see live was, uh, thinking fellers mm-hmm. union. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, I had some religious experiences watching those guys play. I really, yeah. I mean, those guys were unbelievable. Um, 
and a bunch of you know friends were in really good bands as well. So I mean, I, it was just a really good little moment in time. There was a lot of good stuff going on. Was the uh, was bottom of the hill there at that yeah. point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never. When did that place start? It must be. I don't know. I think before I. Got, I mean, must have been around for a long time. I think so. I'm not sure. Imagine but, the different iterations of the of the feel of that place yeah. over the decades. Yeah, it's probably still going. It is. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I, I saw Elliot Smith there one time. Oh, yeah. And, it, and I had never seen, I used to go there and with, you know, see friends bands there all the time and then went to see him there. And I'd never seen it so packed. It was literally, you know, from the stage to the door. Oh, he was already, he had I his get, crowd. I get, yeah, I can't remember exactly when it was. It was like maybe second record or something. Yeah. And, uh, but the, it was, I, I, it was just insane because when he started, it was absolutely silent. Pin even, drop. Even by the front door, no yeah. one was saying a word. That's I've never cool. seen anything like it. It was, it, was, it was unbelievable. Was it, I'm sure it was maybe not uplifting, but a moving experience. <laughs> <laughs> Emotional. Uh, yeah, it was pretty powerful. It was incredible. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, then, then I, you know, so I was there and I was really, I think I was, I... I really, uh, so oh, while I was there, my brother moved out there. My, so I moved there in 90, and then the rest of my family followed eventually. So everyone ended up out there. Coincidentally, and, or just well, to come hang out? <laughs> I mean, maybe a combination. Yeah. But uh, then it seemed like a good time to... to flee to New York. I mean, it was also, I just, I think I was just getting a little too comfortable Yeah. and I needed to kick my own ass with my work and everything, you know? So I think I just needed to, it, it, it just felt a little too small. And I, I had always wondered about living in New York and I think, I think I did it the right way though. I think if I'd gone straight out of the college, I would have had a nervous breakdown. Yeah. I think it would have been too intense. Overwhelming. Yeah. It, yeah. it was a nice kind of transition because it's it is a you know SF's a big city. Yes, yeah. there's plenty of culture and uh, and it's, so it was it was the right move. Now, were you um, working in your place in San Francisco? Did mm-hmm. you have a studio? I never had. A, I, I'm still in the first separate studio I ever had. Yeah, in Brooklyn. Um, even when I moved to New York, I was working in my in my various apartments until I got the separate studio. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, so yeah in San Francisco I was working in my living room and then when I I guess when I let's see well my first I was in a place for six months and then I moved to Dumbo mm-hmm. and had a pretty big loft so that was nice to work in but it was kind of a miserable situation and then I moved to Park Slope and then did that for a few years and went when I started having, I, I did a show there. My first New York solo I did in my apartment. Oh, really? <laughs> and I, yeah, and it was a nice big apartment. It was really expensive, but it was. But I figured since it was my studio as well, it sort of made sense, and I really liked the neighborhood. But I, I just didn't have any separation from the work ever. Yeah. So at the end of that deadline for that show, uh, I was, I had paintings covering every square inch of space mm-hmm. and I was on a really terrible schedule working it till you know till eight in the morning and sleeping till the sun was going down oh yeah 
<laughs> I don't really enjoy that, but for some reason that always seems to happen. And but when it so by the end I had this really strange painting right above my bed. And when that thing started entering into my dreams, <laughs> I realized that was it. Like I couldn't It's time to move. It's to time work to out. get a, to, to have a separation. <laughs> or I would just be finishing something, I'd go to brush my teeth and I'd walk back in as I was brushing my teeth. And I'd see something, I'd put the toothbrush down, pick up the brush yeah. again, and then I'd be there for another hour. Like, right. I can't do this anymore. Yeah, you can't separate so it. it was, yeah, it was driving me insane. So I had to. So after that show, I started looking for a studio. And I found the first place I looked at, I took, and that's the place I still have. And what year was that? Um, 2003 or four. So Gowanus, it was just starting to get It was just starting, yeah. But yeah. it wasn't. It like, wasn't. It the Whole Foods wasn't there yet. Oh, no. No. Yeah, 2000. It was, I think it was 2004. Yeah. I used to go down there around that time, too, because there was a framer. The framer that the gallery I was showing at used okay. was down in Where Gowanus. was that? East Frames, it was called. It was, I don't know if that was, I don't know. Shoot, I don't know what street it was yeah. on. I mean, yeah, it, 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 there were still, uh, I was just talking to a woman last night that's been, that got there just, just before I did. Yeah. And she said she was she. There were like eight or nine prostitutes right in front of her place all the time. Yeah. My friend told me a story about driving through there in the '90s and his car being surrounded by a pack of wild dogs. <laughs> so, and that wasn't like late '90s, I think. But anyway, that's so crazy. It, it was. Uh, yeah, it's it's a lot. You didn't. I was just talking to her about, about that. Like you didn't see people with baby carriages walking right down Third Avenue. Yeah, and now you do. But you can imagine, it kind of looks like it could, the wild dog thing could have happened at De- some definitely, point. Definitely. There's like some weird streets yeah. and canals and, you yeah. know, like it, yeah. it feels like, you could picture it. You can definitely picture it. But also, and the, the, then I, after I left, I guess, in L.A., I was just researching it and I didn't realize that that canal, that's one of the first places it was settled in New York. And they would export these, oyster, these gigantic oysters out of that canal to really? Europe. Yeah, apparently they had the they're like the, that Gowanus Canal had the greatest oysters on earth. That's not they what it's known for now. now it's for, <laughs> and now it's known for dredging skeletons out of there. You it's know, like a super super fun, fun site. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, but definitely in the seventies, that must have been a corpse drop. Yeah. Area. Yeah. yeah, for sure. It's like a part of Brooklyn you you only go to for one reason. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so did you when you moved back? out here did you feel like oh i'm going to set up shop here this feels right or was it did it feel temporary oh this time coming back yeah um it felt temporary at first and then it started to feel like i had never left and i just dreamt that two and a half years in la yeah and now i'm just totally confused about it because i love that space working in that space and i have there's just this really nice community there People that are in my building and people at the coffee shop and bar right there. And, yeah. And in L.A., that was that was the hard thing about L.A. is it was I was so isolated there. Again, it's like you and your work right next to your bed in a way. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about that. But yeah. <laughs> well, it's either that or like we were saying, like two hours in traffic, you know, well, to get right. to a studio. Yeah. And I have great friends in L.A. that I've known for ages, that, you know, but they all live 45 minutes away. Yeah. So you're not going to run into see them, them on the, yeah. Right. So it's that, that was the, I've always, I've always, I mean, when I moved to New York actually in 2000, I was debating LA 
And I figured it was a better time to take the riskier move and the, you know, the scarier move, do that while I'm young. And yeah. then I can always go to L.A. later. Right. Because it would have been too easy to move from SF to L.A. And, you know. But, um, and I always liked visiting there. But moving there was, was a little bit strange just in terms of just like stepping out of the community that I had in Brooklyn into just, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, having friends, but, but having to set everything up and not ever running into anyone. Now, did your work change or what do you think it was influenced by the difference? I mean, obviously a different light out there, different space. You know, I don't, I don't know how much my work is affected by that stuff. People ask me that all the time and I don't know, maybe I just can't see it. Maybe it is. But the weird thing is the paintings I just did for this show, I did them all in New York and in Gowanus, and yeah, everyone's yeah. saying, "Oh, these are these LA are California paintings." paintings. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I guess I see it, but but I, that was not really my intent, you know. Well, I would so. imagine that I, you know, because I, a lot of my work is influenced by travels all over. I think you're just storing up visual images in your mind, you know, and you yeah. pull from those. So yeah, it's not maybe like, there's like a three-year lag, and the LA stuff's coming out when I get back here. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, it all goes into the image bank, yeah. and you pull from it whenever yeah. you need to in yeah, different ways. True. But, um, yeah, I guess space-wise, it's not that dissimilar either, because you don't have... I mean, a lot of people nowadays in New York have a not a huge studio, because it's yeah. not, you know, yeah. sustainable to right. have a giant studio right. anymore, so that can affect the size of work. That's true. Yeah. But um, it sounds like your studios are pretty similar in size. Between the two? Yeah. Yeah, the, the New York one's better. Just Well, it's 10-foot versus 8-foot ceilings, and it's just a more raw space. The one in L.A. is a nicer space, and it's, uh, you know, I, I feel a little more careful in that space. Yeah. But, um, I mean, they're both great. They just, I just, the New York, there's something so perfect about the New York space. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like whenever I move studios, which isn't very often, but when I do, the work changes at the beginning because I'm more orderly or I feel like more precious okay. about moves. And then as you settle in, you get more comfortable and you can loosen up a little bit in the space. Yeah. But I don't know if that's personal or if that happens to a lot of people. So you definitely notice it right away? I do. In yeah. the work? Yeah, just the way that I approach the work. Maybe okay. not the imagery, but okay. the way that I'm working. Okay. At first, it's a little more tidy. Okay. Oh. We'll let that Hello. pass. <laughs> the Bowery um. is not a quiet stream. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I just... I don't know. I, I haven't noticed much of a difference. Yeah. Well, what in about terms of approach or in terms of the way it's affecting the work. Um, yeah. Well, what about the difference in your work between, like, what were you doing at RISD? Well, I, I um, studied illustration, so mm-hmm. I was doing that. I mean, I, 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 at RISD, I, I don't know how most schools do it. It just felt early to me to make a decision, but we had to, I, I believe we had to make a decision, you know, a, a major life. I think it was, I think we had till the end of the first semester that's my right and I didn't know what the hell I knew it was going to be either painting or illustration but I didn't really know what that meant you know I just didn't know enough about either thing yeah and I just remember someone saying oh well if you go into painting you're just going to end up being a teacher and I knew at that point I didn't want to do that so I was like well I guess I'm doing illustration then because I don't want to teach and if I'm not going to be able to it, it just felt a little more practical and a little safer I guess yeah 
And I've always wondered what would have happened if I went the other direction, but I mean, I'm glad that I, you know, it worked out well. Yeah. So I studied illustration and did that for a while, and I think I got my, my technical chops up. So I was, and, and also I, I had an amazing job because I was, I mean, it took me a little bit to get that going, but, but not, now that I think about it, not that long. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I was a, my first job when I moved out there was, I was a microwave chef at a comedy club. So I've never heard of the fashion <laughs> of microwave chef. <laughs> uh, I think I was running four or five microwaves, nachos and wow. um, buffalo wings. That's specific. Uh, yeah. And grating cheese. And, in a comedy club? Uh, in a comedy club. That's so pretty cool. It was great. Yeah. I, I, uh, like, did you get to hear the acts? Oh, yeah. Or were you, oh, yeah, yeah. So I'd make the, <laughs> unfreeze the buffalo wings and <laughs> grate the cheese and make the disgusting nachos. And then I would just like lean in the doorway and watch the set. Yeah. And it was amazing. That's pretty great. So many great people. And that was kind of my, I mean, I used to listen to comedy albums. I don't know how, I don't know. I don't feel like my parents, well, I guess my dad liked George Carlin, but I remember as a young kid listening to comedy records. Yeah. And also being really into Saturday Night Live. Like I, my, I was really young because it was, but I think I, I think I was watching it even maybe in 75 because I remember the Muppets being on there. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm going in a completely different direction, but but I would I would uh, I don't know how I saw it the first time, but I I would. My mom didn't feel good letting me stay up, mm-hmm. so I would go to sleep at nine, and then they would wake me up at eleven thirty to come downstairs and watch it. Now that's good parenting. Yeah, <laughs> and when they would forget, or if I wouldn't wake up or something, I'd wake up the next morning and just be Pissed. livid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, I felt I would never see that episode again. You know? Yeah, it's not like they DVR'd it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but where the hell? What the well, hell? you were talking about working at the comedy club and how oh, that yeah. kind of. Oh yeah, just like somehow this informs so, your work. <laughs> I suppose. Just how I just it, uh, there was like this weird trajectory of liking comedy at an early age, and so anyway, it was. I didn't. It just sounded like a cool. I, I you know you used to have to look in the newspaper, the classifieds for yeah. jobs. So I saw this thing, comedy club, and I'd never done food service. Well, I, I guess I. Here we go. Um, I think you should leave that in. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, so I, so I, I, I was fond of comedy, but I, I don't remember. I just remember looking in the newspaper, seeing this thing at a comedy club, and I said, "What the hell?" I'll do that it. sounds and interesting. Yeah, yeah. I need to be paid three thirty-five an hour, right, to make nachos. <laughs> um, so that's what I did, and and that, and then I ended up working in an art supply store, which was getting a little closer, and then yeah. and then I worked at an animation place doing animation and then at the same time I was kind of you know really working the illustration angle and trying to get work and then so while I was at the animation place I got enough work to to be able to quit my day job. Was that cell stuff like cell animation? Yeah. And uh, was it for TV or? It was mostly for commercials like Carl's Jr. commercials and uh, and uh, and then at the end we did some we did a fancier one where it was actually like little acrylic paintings on each cell, which was kind of fun, but it was it was super tedious and yeah. it was still in a in a kind of office environment. I mean, it was pretty loose, but it was still you know I wanted to be at home. Yeah, afterwards <laughs> you, you know? can say like, hey, I cut my teeth on <laughs> yeah, this exactly. animation cell yeah. by cell, but at the time you're like, get me out of here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it was exciting at first, but it got old pretty quick. Although I met some good people there, but 
So then I, um, so then yeah, I got enough illustration work, and then I, I didn't intend to do this, but I ended up just because I could do it. I ended up doing a lot of caricature work. Yeah. So it, wait on like what for magazines? Oh, okay, yeah. And thank God it was before the internet, because otherwise that stuff would all be floating around. Right. But it all was just for print magazines, and it just became pretty throwaway. Yeah. It was, but it was. I was in my house drawing and painting every day, so it was a dream job. You yeah. Know? And, and 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 that was I, your illustration degree going to yeah, work. Yeah, that, that was it. And I was and I was in and I was getting good gigs doing stuff, for, you know, for Time and Entertainment Weekly and Sports Illustrated. Do you have clippings of those? Oh yeah. I will never show you or anyone else. Really? You don't feel... <laughs> no, I mean, I would, I guess, but it's not... I'm glad it's not out there because it has nothing to do with my work now other than the fact that I, I, it was like a nice... It was a training for, you know, in a sense, for what I do now in, well, term, a, in terms of just, I guess, technical yeah. ability. Yeah, and just putting so, in the hours of making images. Yeah, and I'm also like, learning about dead, how to work with deadlines and work with right. other people and, you know... Being responsible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know those skills that being an artist might not necessarily teach you. I'm a huge yeah, exactly. Warhol fan, and I love seeing those old illustrations yeah. he did yeah, I do for too. you know the window for Macy's and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, I do too. His hand was so amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, Duchamp did illustration. Yeah, I think De Kooning did. A lot of those heavyweights did. Yeah. Well, so what happens pre-internet stays pre-internet. That's right. Thank goodness. <laughs> right. Um, but imagine the, growing up today. Man. Uh, so, so yeah, I'm, uh, it was great at the time, but then it just got old and I'm glad, I mean, I'm actually, again, like I didn't see it at the time, but now I'm really glad that it went that way because if I had enjoyed it more or if it was, if it, if it had been more personal work that I was doing, I may have stuck with it. Um, and that whole industry has changed drastically and it's, you know, I, I, I'm glad I'm not doing that. Um, but uh, well, in all that time of doing all that work, mm-hmm. you're making all these images. Is 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 painting painting anything you're doing at that point? Just like working on canvases or anything, or is this no, all well, kind of other than the acrylic things for the you know animation or stuff like that? But you haven't really barged into your own work necessarily. No, I hadn't. But well, I I, I w- the nice thing about it was so so. My friend Jordan Isop, who um, I went to Rizzy with, and basically we've, you know, been in touch at least once a week for since you know since then. Yeah. And now we see each other all the time since I'm here, which is great. But, but um, he, I just remember what he was doing. Like it felt like when he got into doing illustration, it was really kind of true to his personal vision, whereas. The stuff I was well, I was kind of all over the place in college, and I did a lot of really terrible stuff. And I actually developed this illustration style that I thought was going to be something, but I quickly realized it was terrible. But I was actually getting some stuff published while I was still in college. So I thought I was hot shit, mm-hmm. but then I realized, oh no, this is horrible, and I need to stop working that way. So I, sw- I, I started doing, so I started working a different way that was much more satisfying. <clears throat> but my stuff was already pretty strange, and so when I got into when I ended up just doing caricature work, which ended up being probably was eighty percent of what I was doing or more, because I could get a likeness right of a celebrity. Yeah. I was just get that was the work that was coming in. But I saw Jordan kind of 
keeping to this. You know, his, his work from college and the work he did commercially were similar. And it, fe- it just felt like, I remember always being envious of that because I felt like I was doing this kind of junky celebrity stuff, whereas he was keeping true to his vision, you know? Yeah, he's building an identity. Yeah, and, and his work was always really beautiful, and, and I always really liked it, but I, I just I felt like mine was too commercial. Um, and I, you know, and, and, and it, it was, and it, but, but it was a great job and I was getting, I was doing all right, you know, yeah. I was making money and I was getting in, but I would try, so I was also working with this magazine Mondo 2000 that was actually the first, uh, the first job I got in San Francisco and that it paid nothing, but it was incredible content and the printing was beautiful. So I would do, I would spend you know, 50 or 100 hours or more working on a piece, and I'd get paid $50. Yeah. But it was a way to do whatever the hell I wanted, and the art director there, Bart Nagel, who's still a good friend of mine, um, just gave me free reign. And I got spoiled because I was doing whatever I wanted, and he wouldn't even ask me for sketches, really. He would just let me do, do whatever. So I was doing this really weird stuff that wasn't paying. And then in order to eat and not have to take on another job, I was doing the more commercial you know um pay the bills pay the bills stuff which was still fun to do at the time and it was it was still it was nice kind of working within those parameters and you know they'd say okay it's this celebrity in this situation it was kind of a fun challenge to come up with something interesting you know but i did get tired of it quickly and it just felt it didn't feel like me so i was doing this other weird stuff on the side sort of all along for mondo 2000 and a couple other places but the majority of it was that. So then when I started hearing about this gallery in L.A. Um, that, you know, might like my work from a couple of friends, you know, who, who knew it. So pretty early on, I showed them my work and they and I got a solo show. So then I just was able to do and I still had to do that, the commercial stuff for money for a while. Right. But I but I started just making paintings. So, yeah, so I was working on. For the commercial stuff, it was these small acrylic paintings that I was working on a desk. Mm-hmm. So when I started, when I got this show offer, I just decided I had to get an easel, start working upright, start painting thicker, not you know, without drawing it all down first, just start right. drawing with the brush. Um, and that was a really, once I did that and started making these paintings that were exactly what I wanted with, you know, uh, it was hard to ever go back. Then, then yeah. like the life went out. I mean, not that it was great before, but I like I just wasn't. My heart was not in that anymore at all. And I had to do it for a while. And I did some really awful stuff. And I can't. People kept calling me for work even after I was. I turned these things in. Like, oh my god, they're never calling me again. Yeah. And then they would. So it was, <laughs> so it was nice until it. And it ended up being like a ten-year transition. Yeah. In total, because from you know from the first personal piece I did to the last illustration job I did you know and I started working when I got to New York I started working under a pseudonym because it was very different I started working digitally for some of the illustration stuff Um, and I just really wanted a separation I didn't want my name associated with that stuff anymore so did you uh, then there was an internet and things were starting to you know float around you're you're on the grid Mm -hmm. (laughs) would were you uh did you teach yourself 
uh, like Photoshop Illustrator or things like that? Yeah, I did. And did that come in handy with working on the paintings at all? It did, yeah, it did. It really became an an indispensable tool. And I didn't know that it, I remember, you know, not being able to sleep the night I ordered my computer because it was so much money. I couldn't really afford it. I didn't know. I was like, what the hell? Why the hell am I getting this? I had a little crappy laptop for email and stuff already, Mm -hmm. but I got a tower and I thought, you know, like this Mac, beige Mac. And I, I, it it was terrifying to, to make that jump. Yeah. Because it was expensive, and I, did, I just like, do I really need this? What am I doing? But then I realized pretty quickly that I, like, once I started using Photoshop and figured it out a little bit, I realized I could use it as a tool yeah. to, you know, for my work. And now I couldn't really do what I do now without it. Yeah. It's a big so, part of your yeah. sketching, planning the image process. Yeah, yeah and I kind of go back and forth now. Like, this work I, I wanted, especially these big ones, I wanted to leave them pretty open, so mm-hmm. I would put one thing in place and then start the painting and then kind of uh, just jump back and forth all yeah. the way till the end now. And yeah. I, I used to work differently. I'd each, I used to build the whole collage first and then I wouldn't really deviate. Once I, once I I'd do it, everything in the computer that I wanted to do, then I would spit that out and then work from that reference that I made and I wouldn't really deviate. Yeah. And now, I, and then so a few, after a few years of doing that, I, I wanted to be a little bit more I mean, it's still very controlled, but I wanted it to be a little more organic and let it develop as I went. So, Well, you were saying, so, too, before that you you use your own photographs as well sometimes yeah. for source material. Yeah, so it's found imagery and imagery that I take, and some, there's some stuff that's invented, um, so it's a combination. Yeah. And then, so I, I do want to, I don't want to skip out on the music stuff. Okay. And downstairs here at Grimm Gallery, you have a bunch of work that's, you know, eight tracks, uh, are they called eight track cassettes? I think so. Yeah, I remember eight tracks yes. in my dad's Monte Carlo. Yeah, <laughs> like the Love and Spoonful and the Eagles and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, eight tracks. Yeah. I'm sure there's a bunch of people who go downstairs and see that and have no clue what Absolutely, those things are. Yeah. yeah, those are relics. Yeah, that's uh, what the name of it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, they really are. And yeah, there's people that you know, people in their twenties don't know what the hell that is. Yeah. I mean, they've seen normal cassettes, but those those are pretty strange to them. So I have that, had to explain it to a couple of people what those are. Right. <laughs> yeah, just the other day, my son saw a wall made up. There was like a collage of, um, it was in a Starbucks. And uh-huh. on the wall, they had a bunch of VCR tapes uh-huh. that they painted on top of. And okay. he's like, what? what is that? <laughs> <laughs> and I realized, I was like, oh yeah, you haven't seen one of those things. That's so funny. Wait, how old is he? He's like, are they worth a lot of money? He, like, he thought they were <laughs> yes. vintage. You know? Oh, yeah. Like, everything old is worth something. I was like, no, those are pretty easy to get. He's yeah. 11. Okay. <laughs> but he's kind of fascinated for a minute. And then his iPhone buzzed and he, he <laughs> forgot it. all about it. <laughs> um, so music. And then the LPs down there, which you have, you know, yeah. kind of tweaking. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, when I was doing commercial stuff, some of the best gigs were doing album covers. Like I ended up doing uh, the Corn Untouchables record cover, mm-hmm. which was actually um, the guy, I think Jonathan from the band, liked the painting of mine that he had seen. So he wanted. So it kind of that one kind of the cover of that grew out of a, a painting of mine mm-hmm. that existed. So, but those those gigs were great when I was working with a label and they actually paid money back when people used to buy albums. Um, they actually had budgets, so yeah. so that that was one of the last 
I was already working on gallery shows and stuff, but if a, if a, if a gig like that came up, I would take it. Is there um, anything better than seeing if it's a good band? Well, well like, either way, just seeing yeah. your artwork on a record cover, it just feels so good. It feels good, and, and it's just, it's such a, it's so ingrained in me, and you know, because I used to sit there and stare at the yeah. Beatles album covers when I was a little kid, and... Thriller? Uh, I mean, I, yeah, mm-hmm. it was, it's a huge part of the experience for me, you know, and I think for a lot of people, not for young people, but because yeah. but, now you're looking at a postage stamp right, or right. smaller. Um, but that was part of, I mean, it's, you know, that was part of the experience. And I'm sad that that's gone, so... So, so yeah, so I, I, and I'm just obsessed with music. I, it's been a, an important part of my life since I was a tiny kid. Were your, were your parents big, into music? Yeah, they had pretty good taste. Yeah. And I have, um, well, an uncle of mine who died when I was 10 uh, was really, really into music. And so he kind of, he was the first person I saw that, that was, he was so passionate about it. And he would say, like, okay, listen, we would drive in his convertible and he'd say, listen to this song from the White Album. Yeah. And I just saw how connected he was to these things and how much he wanted to kind of uh, share that with me. And it, it just, I don't know, it helped me realize that you, I don't know, I don't know what it did. So there was just some connection that was established seeing him be that into it and I don't know. I think um, it probably gives you license to be passionate about something that's creatively created, you know? Yeah, and to, yeah, to really be. get into something. Yeah. You need that, I think, yeah. as an, a creative person. Like yeah. You have to be able to just lose yourself in something. Yeah, no, you're right. And I, th- I think, I mean, my parents had good taste and they were into it, but it was, it was more of a passive thing, I think. And to see him just digging into it like that, yeah. did, you know, that did something. That's um, a, yeah. So then... Uh, well, what were your parents listening to? Everything were, or, no, or like everything, classics? Yeah, like Beatles, and my dad really liked Dylan, and and then uh, my stepdad brought a bunch of like Randy Newman, and you know we'd hear Stevie Wonder all the time, you know, and just Motown stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like nothing super strange, but um, but it was a solid foundation yeah. to, to build on, you know. Yeah, definitely. That's what my dad always listened to Motown because he's in the military yeah. and his units were. Wow. It's just all Motown. Oh, wow. So I got the Marvin Gaye, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Temptations. Yeah. I feel like that gives you a, like a, a root of soul in your, For sure. in your, yeah. in your being. You yeah. Know? I'm really actually grateful to have had that. Cause I talked to people whose parents didn't listen to music at all yeah. or, you know, or listen to horrible stuff, you know, or stuff that I, I don't know. And you feel um, bad. Like they're wandering around kind of slightly <laughs> missing out. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Um, so then, so then to be able to, and then I ended up doing a couple um, Frank Zappa covers, yeah. which was incredible. And then, and then I just recently did the Tyler, the Creator record, which was also really exciting. And yeah, so seeing that up and seeing that up on billboards and stuff yeah. was, was great. Now wait, when but, you did the Zappa cover, mm-hmm. how did you not just quit and say, all right. When it was done, I've, uh, I've done it all. <laughs> you could just walk away from yeah, it at that point yeah. and say, "All right, that's that's a wrap." Well, that actually may have been the last one I did until the Tyler one. Mm-hmm. I think that might have been the last one because I because again I was already doing my own stuff in galleries, but that was something I couldn't turn down. What a great so. like like I mean, there's yeah. their music couldn't be more different in a way, but yeah. there's something so 
they're both so on their own path and just march to their own beat, right? Yeah, no, do that's their true. thing. That's true. It's pretty cool to be associated with that. Yeah, no, the genres, you know? that's true. I mean, I'm pretty honored to be involved in both those, you know. Well, actually, yeah, so the, I had a show of those albums. So I started making those album paintings, and, and it was really nice. It, it was so, it felt really liberating to get away from this work that I felt was too, just too pretentious, I guess. Or So it was like a break know. away from that? Yeah, it was, just, it was just a really fun, so I just kept thinking of that dream, like, well, what if I try and make the actual object what, am I, what if I paint that yeah. and make it the actual object um, which is what I did and it was so much fun yeah that I just uh, decided I wanted to you know, so that was so in 2009 or I started that project and it's an ongoing thing so um, which is nice that you can revisit whenever you want yeah it's great because it's always there when I, when I need to break away from what I'm doing so um but in these it, paintings, it made its way in. Right. So I mean, it, 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 these it's these are kind of more straight renditions of them. Mm-hmm. Or actually, they, uh, but the so the ones in the in the album, the LP paintings, I'm basically trying to approximate the f- the feeling of that dream and just the the absurdity of that dream yeah. in each of them. So they're takes on existing albums, but then they're kind of perverted in various ways. Yeah. And the text will be like, I'll u- I, now I use a. Um, um, this this website that converts things into anagrams. So I'll oh, just yeah, yeah. put the title in, and then it'll spit, spit out, out twenty five hundred different things, and I'll sort through those and figure out a way. Um, so that's one way I do it. Or I'll just and it's and it's either albums that I really like, or albums that I hate, or things that I just think are overexposed, or just random ones that I choose just purely based on the aesthetics of the of the cover. Yeah. So they're all existing albums, but then they're just mutated in some way. Yeah. I thought the monk one is so hard to see without the monk on it. The yeah. Thelonious Monk record. Yeah. Which is an Andy so Warhol used one. To that. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, that, yeah. So the original uh, idea I had was to do a giant white album in the gallery when I did the first show in 2009 mm-hmm. in the Lower East Side. Um, but I didn't get it. I just ended up doing the, the 12-inch ones. So then later for Amsterdam, I did a, a five-foot-high Gatefold freestanding white album, like so, it's like a sculptural painting. Yeah, and then, uh, and so I started doing these five foot ones that either lean up against the wall or can be hung on the wall, and so it's just a larger version of the same thing. But then when I did this work, the muse, you know, it's about this woman that's kind of creating these shrines where she's bringing these objects in and stacking them in certain ways, and um. In a parking lot. In a parking lot. <laughs> or leaning up against the car of the district manager or whatever. She's basically creating these little pagan rituals um, in the parking lot of her office building. Which um, looks like a brewer building, like a Marcel Brewer. Yeah, I, don't, I, I should know who the architect is. It's the Denver General Hospital. I should know, um, too. It looks like Brewer. From 1970. It could be. Because it looks um, a lot like the one that's in New Haven, that's the Ikea now, but he, oh, shit. Okay. it was the old, I think it was the old continental tire factory, but it has oh, like okay. cut out sections underneath the building and it's like up lifted above. It's a pretty great building. Okay. But yeah, it's cool. a, it's a pretty uh, brutalist modernism, you know, yeah. like that yeah. kind of architecture. Apparently it was, yeah, it's kind of, um, an important brutalist building because there's a lot of photography on it when, yeah. it, when it opened in 70. So 
I have it from three different angles. I thought I was going to have to bring it into some kind of um, 3D program and yeah. spin it around, but I found so many good photos of it that I just you can do it. That, yeah. yeah. Well, that so, saved you that trouble. <laughs> that did. Yeah, that was a relief um, to not have to deal with that. Uh, but um, so, and it and it all takes place in 1973. So then I started just looking around at you know which albums were released that year, oh, and what, yeah. what books were released that year, and so the, a lot of those entered into these. And the cars. Um, and the cars too. Yeah. So there's no there's no object in here that's that's uh, you know produced later than 73. Yeah. And that, it's funny because it, I don't know what year Bechtel was, is that how you pronounce his name? Robert Bechtel, the photorealist oh, who did I all this. I said Bechtel, but I, I might be wrong. Um, what years was he? In the 70s, was yeah. Because yeah. the cars are of that time period, yeah, right? Yeah, And Estes, those are great paint. I mean, do yeah. you, are you fans? Of- I really, I really liked, um, I really liked, well, I think my mom had a lithograph by Estes. Oh, his prints I like more yeah. than the paintings. Yeah, I, I kind of do too now. I, just, I used to be really fascinated with photorealism because yeah. I just couldn't believe the technique. Right. Now it's just boring to me when it's just a photograph reproduced right. in paint because now I know how it's done. At the yeah. time, when I first started seeing that stuff, I just it blew my mind. But now that I can do that, I don't. It's not exciting to me. There needs to be some kind of conceptual thread that runs through it. Or it just needs there needs to be an idea behind it for me to find it interesting. As otherwise, I just I don't. I mean, it's it's fine. I just I'm not as interested in it anymore. It's like a you know? uh, it's like an Iron Maiden guitar solo. <laughs> like exactly. When you're a kid, you're like, man, this is amazing. How do you do it? And then you get older, and you're like, oh, it's kind of masturbatory. <laughs> um, good analogy, right? Yeah, <laughs> bringing it back to good. music. That was very good. But but I do I do of those guys, and I didn't know Bechtel until probably college. Yeah. Or maybe even later, because they have good ones in San Francisco at the museum in San yeah, Francisco. But so maybe I f- found him at the museum there. But he's my favorite of those dudes. Right. In ter- you know, they're I just, a little weird. They in are. A good there's, way. there's a yeah. There, there's there's a, just a very subtle stylization of it. Yeah. That they're just they're so beautiful. Like those, I really enjoy. Not, yeah. A lot of it, I don't. I just don't find as find it that interesting anymore. But I still appreciate the technique, but. Because a moment in time, yeah, yeah. I just needed to have something, more of an idea, you know, something behind it. Right. Well, where um, are you working on? What do you what? What's coming after this? Are you already back um, to work? Are you taking a little? Today's the day I go back to work. Oh, right? really? Yeah, I took some time off. I feel good making you delay that for a few hours. <laughs> well, no, this counts as work. Oh, I think. That's true. yeah, that's true. getting me to think about things right. again. Instead Reflecting. of just drinking, yeah, um, <laughs> and watching movies. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I haven't quite started, but I'm actually going to pick up some stuff that got eliminated from this show. When mm-hmm. I started these three massive ones, I had to cut some stuff out. So I'm going to kind of revisit those and maybe take them in a slightly different direction. Yeah. And then um, I have some other ideas for Because I have a show in um, Denmark next November. Nice. Or I guess now it's this, no, yeah, November of 19. Um, so I need to get to work on that right away. Yeah. Um, and, um, well, how long does this show up until? This shows up till January 13th. They're okay. closed for the holidays for a few days, but they're open, I think, on the 3rd. Okay. And they're open six days a week, so. Nice. Yeah. And um, how else can people find your work? You do social media. I do the social media. Um, I'm the not nice thing about your it. social media, though, is you get those detail shots, which is nice. Yeah. Little teasers. Yeah. 
<laughs> I try to tease it out, but I'm not very good at it. I don't post as much as I probably should. Um, but it's, well, Instagram is E underscore Whitey, mm-hmm. which is not the, uh, it's not the easiest one, but I think it links from my site, which is ewhite.com. Okay. Um, and do you have a website? I do have a website. Well, that's the same. Yeah, I mean, do you, yeah. do you like websites mm-hmm. aren't as active as they used to be? No, right? they're just, I don't think any of us are really not. keeping them up. Yeah, yeah I, I'm not great about that, but I, it, I do, I, I do. It's easy now. It's a lot easier than it used to be. So yeah. It's Squarespace or whatever, so I get to um, I get to it occasionally. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I do my spinoff podcast where it's nothing but music, uh-huh. <laughs> maybe like 15 years from now, can you come, <laughs> come back on? I and we'll, swear I will. We'll talk yeah. about old vinyl records and <laughs> okay. all that stuff. I promise. Cool. Well, thanks a lot right. for meeting me. Was, Thank you, man. It was great to meet you. Thanks. thanks. Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find more about my work at painchanger.com. If you are in Manhattan, I just finished two murals for Rag and Bone. One of them is on the Houston Street side, and one is on the Elizabeth Street side of their store. If you have a chance, check it out. For more information on the podcast, and also to see some images that I take at the galleries and the artist studios, you can go to soundandvisionpodcast.com. You can also find uh, tote bags there, and you can also support the podcast by donating at the website. Make sure you check out Eric White's show at Grimm Gallery. It's up until the 13th of January. If you can, please go to iTunes and rate and review the podcast. It really helps out. And thank you for your support.